0: Hello and welcome to the About to Interview podcast. I'm your host, that guy named John. This is a supplemental version of the About to Review podcast, which drops every Wednesday and covers movies, TV shows, film festivals, and more. You can follow the podcast on all forms of social media Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes, slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This show focuses solely on the conversations that I have with authors, directors, actors, and creators, and is available on YouTube as well as subscribing to the podcast. Make sure to click the subscribe button below, give a thumbs up, and check out the full show notes with links to the guests at abouttoreview.com. Let's all
1: go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby
0: get ourselves a tree yeah. yeah. from the streets of Gotham City, Central City, New York City and even Westeros. I'm sitting with an author who has written tales taking place in all of those different places and times. Welcome to the show, Landry Walker. Hello. <laughs> How are things?
2: I'm, I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. I liked that when I started my intro, because I did not even tell you what the intro is going to be, the look on your face was like, all right, where is this going? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I, I, I love that you got Westeros in there. I had to think for me. Okay, no, I see where you're going. All right.
0: Yeah, you know, you're picking it up as I was going, but there was definitely that moment of, all right, this guy who I agreed to be on an, an interview show with, not sure what he is doing.
2: That was It was good. It was good.
0: Nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have been in the business for a while. And like I said, you have written stuff for Batman Brave and the Bold, Teenage mm-hmm. Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, all of these sorts of things, and including, of course, some of the Western or some of the Game of Thrones comic books. Yeah,
2: yeah I've gotten I've gotten the, the pleasure of adapting um the second uh second book in the um Song of Ice and Fire, Clash mm-hmm. of Kings, uh into comic book format, um, which has been a really, really weird and fun job because I'm not writing it, mm-hmm. but I am completely deconstructing it and reconstructing it into a different form, which means sort of rewriting it. It's weird.
0: Right. Now, what is the added pressure of that when you take somebody like George R.R. R. Martin that is regarded as a pretty good writer? You know, he kind of knows what he is doing. And then they're like, all right, we need you to take that. and oh, We like it. Give us your spin.
2: Well, you know, because the, the main one of the main thrusts of the job is to preserve um, George's writing in it, it, the closest we can in a comics form doing as much of a one, one sort of translation as is possible. Um, as opposed to say the TV show, which takes more liberty by necessity, these are different mediums and we Mm -hmm. have to take liberties too. the, um, you know, one of the, the main things we look at a lot with this is how much do we show versus how much do we tell the, the, the novel is, you know, it's all tell everything is tell right in the book. There's a lot of scenes where you can tell with pictures, um, and so, where do we cut text from? Um, it's it's fun. I don't know that there's a lot of pressure because it's really just an enjoyable job. nice. Uh, the It's kind of like one of the funnest parts of writing comics for me is getting into the instruction of a page because I write full script, so it's all page one, panel one with detailed description, and then the dialogue panel two, detailed description. With suggestions and notes of like, okay, let's compose this one as a wide image, pull in tight on the eyes. It's a lot more direction yeah. than it is
1: uh,
2: writing in a way. And it's fun. Um, it's kind of the pure science of um, experimenting with the pure science of um, panel construction mm-hmm. within comics, which is the language of comics. Um Oh, I really, really enjoy the job. And I'm working with um, some great people on it. I'm working with um, Anne, who is uh, the editor on the book series. It mm-hmm. has been since the 90s. And um, Rhea, who works directly with uh, George and, of course, the people at Dynamite. So, yeah, it's fun. Fun job.
0: Nice. So the main reason that, I mean, because we could talk about all of your other things, and I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: Sorry, you, I go, I'll
0: go. i go on instantly. Oh, no, that is totally... When you are as busy as you are, totally understandable. The book that I just recently got of yours uh, by the amazing people at DK who anytime they come out with a new superhero book or an encyclopedia or an ultimate guide, they sent me an email and they're like, hey, John, you want a copy of this and to review and talk to the author? And I'm like, just stop sending me the question of asking me. Just be like, "Hey, we are sending you a book, and here is the guide. Because of course I'm going to say yes. So the book that you recently did for DK is Justice League: The Ultimate
2: Guide. Yes, yes, that is one of the books I recently did. Because I also did the just before that I had the I did the Wonder Woman Ultimate Guide. Too. Yes, you did. Um, uh, yeah, hold on. I've got. Not that anyone can see it, but <laughs> right. I've got right here the Justice League book um I have on hand. That oh, look at something.
0: that. I have it right in front oh. of me too. <laughs> Amazing how that works out. Um yeah,
2: that was a, this book is this book was a lot of fun to write. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 a different process. I, you know, I I began in the industry working in underground comics back in the early 90s. Um but I was always a um a DC kid. I was a okay. superhero fan start um maybe when you post this I'll share a photo of me at 5 years old uh with Burt Ward in full costume he's in full Robin costume Uh, yes please you do <laughs> in the 70s Yeah. there's a picture of me with Burt Ward um I was by the time I was 4 I was a diehard Batman fan um you know the Super Friends was airing uh, mm-hmm. it was new at the time um you know the whole Legion of Doom right. uh and not era um and uh you know, the comics were a natural um step for me at that point and I was picking up a lot of the nineteen seventies Justice League mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Like the um oh god, let me think. When was the I'm trying to remember what the first I actually in this book ended up highlighting a few of my personal firsts and mm-hmm. favorites with with the Justice League, like the um them fighting the Royal Flush Gang. Uh, right? Uh, it, during the satellite era, them um, battling, st- the way, you know, Starro on the mm-hmm. faces of everyone on the cover. I think it was a, the first time that had happened, the Starro face thing, I think, um, as I recall. You know, the. Uh, uh, I was able to highlight a lot of my personal favorites in this book, a lot of stories that were meaningful to me, while at the same time trying to service a larger history.
0: For sure, and that was something that I really enjoyed with the book, because... I mean, I have a a massive comic book collection and, you know, always looking for those rare things, those other things to kind of add as opposed to subscribing to 60 books a month like I used to do, which was madness. (laughs) Uh, Then it became more, okay, what are the things I'm really looking forward to? What are the things that I really want to dig and find? So I like in the book how whether it was a decision of of yours or it was already there, how it will have like those key issues And then it will talk about them. It will say what comic it was from, the issue number, the year. Talk about the comic, who is in it, and it really kind of lays it out. That way, somebody who maybe is picking this book up for the first time reading about Justice League after seeing the new movie, they can be like, okay, some of these characters sound familiar. Where did they come from? What was an important storyline? So I really liked that you structured it that way. Was that an idea of yours, or is that something that you kind of helped well, move forward?
2: That was um, that was one of the bits of structure that came along with the job. One of the nice things about the DK books is that there is, if you pick one up, each book kind of works within the same framework of another, by and large, like using a lot of like, let's do a key storyline, let's do a key issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so there's a certain list of types of spreads they were already working with when um they first approached me about working on the Wonder Woman book mm-hmm. um and then there were some elements that i i brought in um the key the key issue was 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 one they had uh pre-existing that i was really happy to work with actually um especially it's it became more difficult to, it becomes more difficult to do a key issue mm-hmm. when you get past about 1990 Because all the storylines start becoming multi-part. So going, here's a key issue, but you really have to know, like, five issues before and five issues after to understand why this is key. Mm -hmm. There's a real nice aspect of of working with a key issue in the 60s, because you're looking at, say, let's say issue seven or eight, I forget which one it is, that is the first telling of the origin of the Justice League, where they're all getting turned into trees by the aliens, Invading mm-hmm. and Appalaxians.
0: I've rem- I yeah, yeah,
2: uh huh. I never know how to pronounce that. That's what I love about print. <laughs> you don't actually have to know how to pronounce these things, right? Um, I, I talk
0: about that frequently with <laughs> with books like Harry Potter. I know people oh, that yeah. that were reading that when they saw Hermione's name. That was just want you just started to look over, just as you're reading, you're like Hermione, yeah, yeah, sure. And then they saw it, yeah. you know, saw the movie, and they're like, Hermione, <laughs> gotcha. Um,
2: the Watchmen had a lot of that with, uh, how do you pronounce it, Ozymandias? Right. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, everyone I knew when that book was coming out, when it was new, everyone I knew pronounced it differently. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, you know, there's there's historical context for that. No one, we were all 13, 14 years old at the time. None of us knew it. Right. Um, so
0: uh, So the Appalachians, yeah. you know, and that yeah. type of cover.
2: Well, just just being able to do those single issues, those key issues, and 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 when you're dealing with, you know, anywhere from the '40s on through the uh, up until about the '90s, key issue was is a lot easier to focus on. After that, it becomes more difficult, and the key storyline became something I enjoyed more at that stage because then you're just doing an overall like, here's the entire tale of that time Darkseid came to New York for a Subway sandwich, um, <laughs> right. It turned out to be a 40 issue multi arc. And included five, five reboots of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I want to write that now. But I, I was just going to
0: say, uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that might be in yeah. the deleted chapters of the book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that I, I, I brought uh, with me to the DK books, though, um, was a, I, I pushed to make the eras uh, more significantly filled out. Um, I noticed in some of the earlier books, you might look at the silver age and there wasn't a lot of material Mm -hmm. compared to say the modern age, there'd be like 30 pages here and five pages there. And I felt that each, you know, this is the ultimate guide. These are the, this is, you need to know equally about the sixties version of the justice league as you do the seventies, as you do the eighties and so on and so forth. I didn't want to do a book that just serviced who the justice league is now with a lens looking at their history Retroactively from today's perspective, I wanted to give it a perspective starting each era from that era mm-hmm. and that was that was really important to me with um with both the books I did with uh e k
0: and that was what was also impressive is i mean so growing up when I was reading you know comics in the eighties and nineties, when you had the justice League Europe and you had the justice League international justice League detroit, some of those teams might not have been the greatest. Uh but
2: the fact that are they you said Justice League Antarctic was not the greatest ever? Okay. Justice
0: League Antarctic, that whole storyline, I was like, what are you doing? Like I remember seeing that this was back when newsstands would carry comics. Right. And I remember going there and seeing that after picking up Superman, Batman and my other titles, and being like, really? Is this is this happening? <laughs> okay, sure. Right. So I like that in the book you did not uh, you know, ignore those. Those are part of the lore. Oh. Those are part of the history. We would not have some of the storylines that actually end up being really fun if mm-hmm. not for some of those storylines or teams that maybe are not the, the greatest or have the biggest heavy hitters.
2: The funny thing is I, I, I look at like, especially looking at some of the, the impact some of the stuff has had retroactively. Um, the Detroit League, for an example, mm-hmm. at the time... Um, again, because I'm a little older than you, I I had the perspective of the uh the fandom really rebelling against that series at the time. One, you go back and read it, and there were some very strong stories in there, especially in the later uh, issues. And two, the the impact we've seen that continue to have on other media. I mean, you watch the you watch um the Legends of Tomorrow show,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: and, and the Flash and all those. I mean. Half of that stuff doesn't exist without ju- the Justice League Detroit, of all things. I mean, yeah, that's where they put together Vixen, Gypsy, Vibe, um, Steel. It's like they have mined the, the, the hell out of that. That is <laughs> like they've, they've done their, their job, their homework. Um, and without those stories, we don't have the stories we're getting now that people are getting into and all these really amazing characters that people are finding representation with. You know, so It yeah. may not have been executed great back then, but at least the ideas were there.
0: For sure. I mean, I remember picking up issues of Justice League Europe, you know, with Elongated Man. And it was like, oh, yeah. Okay, like Ralph Dibney, cool. Pretty sure Plastic Man is uh, right around the corner. <laughs> uh, But again, those storylines, they served a purpose. Even if it was just at that point, Right now, we're kind of just inundated, and we are spoiled, frankly, that we have so, so many things going on. But back then, when a new Justice League title came out, that was new. that It was fresh. It was like, with a new team, with new characters, new adventures, why would we not do this? And granted, there is always going to be that part of fandom <laughs> that wants to rebel against it, because it is not their Justice League oh, to, yeah. to you what defines your justice league
2: well i mean from there's two things there's two perspectives there there's a the fan perspective and the professional perspective i mean within me there are two perspectives mm-hmm. um because you in this day and age you're rarely going to find a fan who, a, a professional who isn't also a fan right but i think it's important to have two very distinct views of that so for me this is tough like my my childhood definitive Justice League, when I think of the Justice League, is the satellite era with um, about the time Zatanna mm-hmm. was, was in there with her big, long, blue-and-white uh, curtain-like costume, um, which I loved. Uh, Martian Manhunter was just kind of coming back into the mix. Um, Firestorm. But, you know, of course, you still had Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, um, The Flash, these key players. So it was kind of a golden age at that time of, like, all the originals with all these really exciting newer characters as well. My favorite, so okay, that's that's probably my, um, like, the, that's what I think of. Because I was like six, seven years old when I was right. exposed to that. That's, that becomes ingrained. That said, my favorite is probably Justice League International, the earlier issues especially. Wow, okay. The, um Giffen, Demetrius, Maguire. I mean the the material is hysterical. I am a huge fan of any of the Charlton characters, like Blue Beetle. Yes, Captain Atom. Mm-hmm. I um actually got into those characters. My grandmother bought me a stack of comics from the thrift store in the seventies, mm-hmm. and they were old, old Charlton stuff before DC owned them. So I was reading the sixties Blue Be- Ditko Blue Beetle stuff mm-hmm. with the question um, Captain Adam, uh, A lot of the Thunderbolt was in there. Peter Cannon Thunderbolt who did not stick around the DC universe um for legal reasons right um so seeing those characters come to the DC universe in crisis i was like oh my god it's the blue beetle <laughs> in dc mm-hmm. and so you know i was uh i love the humor i love everyone talks about watchmen is what if superheroes were real you know, and I look at Justice League International is probably the much better version of what if superheroes were real. I love Watchmen, don't get me yeah. wrong, but if superheroes were real, you know they'd be complaining about like, you know, where their costumes are riding up or who didn't wash the dishes mm-hmm. because in the end they're just people, just like we're people, and they act like we do only they happen to be in costumes and in high stress situations.
0: Well, especially I mean, coming off of that, then you have those great and hilarious blue and gold runs with booster oh, yeah. gold and blue beetle that are just amazing uh when you look at just how absurd they were but also how true to the characters they were because they're like you said they were real people they were just yeah. people following in the footsteps i mean granted blue beetle ted cord and all of that with booster gold it was like uh i found some tech and allowed me to go back in time <laughs> so i'm going to pretend to do this so he was just a dude. And so having a yeah. team of people where that was just what they were led to some interesting storylines.
2: Oh, yeah. So, so then there's the professional perspective. From a professional perspective, the... Probably the, the Grant Morrison era of the Justice League, I feel, is where we get some of the strongest stories. The epic level of, you know, these people are dealing with things. It's not just how, like, How do I put it? There is a level of absurdity in those stories, a Silver Age absurdity. Mm -hmm. At the same time, putting incredibly devastatingly massive real-world stakes, combining Silver Age absurdity with with impossibly dire situations adds to this great dramatic tension. You're suddenly taking flying starfish or whatever, Mm-hmm. Very seriously. That's what that's what is is so well done in those books. So there's, um, I think professionally, I think that's where we see the the kind of the peak of the Justice League. I enjoy it most as a fan with the Justice League International '80s, and what I think of most with the Justice League is the, the Justice League mm-hmm. is the '70s. But so um, multiple opinions in long explanation here. <laughs> very quick question. I have um, multiple answers to that. Okay. Which no. serve this book well because I explored all of them.
0: You really were able to do that. And it the book is I mean, it is amazing. It actually came out I think it was coming out during the week of New York City Comic Con. Yeah. And so I I saw it in person and was talking to the DK rep and I was like, uh,
2: so uh, uh can I uh,
0: can I go to the She was like, Not yet. Just go away and I was like, All right, fine. So you I should don't... have come
2: to signing. I did signings there. Hi. New York City Comic
0: Con. You know, we talked about it briefly uh, before we started recording. New York City Comic Con. I had an absolute blast, but that place is madness.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's insane. It, though, if anything, it's more mellow than it was several years ago. What? I went to the first. Oh yeah, the, I was there. It was the first or second year where the fire department shut things down, where they oh, wouldn't right. let anyone in or, or let anyone in anyway.
0: And in or was, out they're like no everyone stays in
2: <laughs> just <laughs> I think it was just it I think it was just uh, no one could come in mm-hmm. But um, you had parents cut off from their children. I thought there was gonna be a riot outside Oh
1: shit! I sheesh. mean it was
2: insane the crowd level and the way they determine this at conventions is they're checking the co2 in the air and hmm. determining is it reaching an unsafe level which is Terrifying that When is- you think about it. <laughs> I go to so many of these shows. I'm like, oh god.
0: It's, are we just going to run out of oxygen, or is it going to become toxic?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I know it's bad. I mean, wow. So yeah, I don't want to have that. They they almost did it at San Diego, uh, right around the same time, and then San Diego started putting more of a cap on their attendance because it was just growing, 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 and they went, "Whoa, okay, let's pull it back a little." Right. Conventions um, are fun, but on there was a time. I think I went to my first San Diego Comic-Con, which has an audience now about, what, 160,000? Something like I that, my, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to my first one in 92. I think it was 92. Um, was that when and, he was at the
0: like the hotel
2: back then? Um, it was literally just after the convention had moved, and it was, um, what was it? We, we drove that night. I drove. We drove down that night. I was with um, an artist I, I still work with named Eric Jones and two of our friends, uh, Pennell Vaughn, who's a colorist, and another friend who's not in the industry. Um, so Eric and I were in the back of a pickup truck for this drive. Uh, we drove down. We arrived. We pulled up next to the convention Thursday morning. We parked. You could just park right there. We walked up, bought tickets, and we went in. It was a simpler time. And we thought it was insane. We thought it was giant. It had an attendance of about 30,000. Whoa. And I was like, oh, my God, so many people. (laughs) Right? Contextually, contextually, that was bonkers. That did not happen.
0: And you are also planning on coming up to Emerald City Comic Con here in just a few months.
2: Yes. Yes, I will definitely be there. I've got an artist alley table, I believe, set up. Um, I will. I don't have it set up right now. That'd be weird. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, very in advance. You
2: know. Yeah. No. It's a very lonely wait. Um. Yeah. No. I'll be. I'll be there. Um. With with some old books and some new books.
0: Nice. One of the other things that you have worked on. Speaking of some of your old stuff and new stuff, is a lot of what you have focused on professionally are these all ages style books. You know, like The Incredibles, yeah. Batman: The Brave and the Bold, which. Again, we talked about the kind of 70s ridiculousness of things. I loved the animated series Batman Brave and the Bold because it just, it was fun. And so the comic had that same style where it was just, it was absurd. It was off the wall, but also amazing.
2: We had a lot of fun with that. I was, again, I was working with artist Eric Jones. We just finished our run of Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade. And as I was coming to a close, we were putting together a pitch for an all-ages Batman series we want to do. Now, the, the, TV sh- the cartoon, Batman Brave and the Bold, hadn't been announced yet. Mm-hmm. And um, we put together this whole pitch. We went down to San Diego. We were going to show it to some of our editors. We get there, and there's these big banners or something advertising uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. We're like, okay, so this isn't happening. <laughs> right? you know, they, they don't like to do real competitive like competing ideas this was so similar and then um that next emerald city so was that about eight months later um one of my editors uh Mike Siglain, um came up to me at emerald city and asked me to for me and eric both to come on to the comic adaptation and we got to do some crazy stories with that we've got you know uh an egghead story. Egghead from the 1960s Batman TV show mm-hmm. makes his first real comic book appearance in our book. I'm not even sure if we were legally allowed to do that at the time because of the Fox <laughs> right. rules. Um, but the, uh, what else did we do? We had a a, uh, a story where Batman and Adam Strange um, had to rewrite reality because it had been erased by the evil alien race of Scions and they inadvertently created the concept of Christmas secularly, anyway, in the right. in the process. Yeah. Um, you know, we got to do a lot of really insane stuff. It was a book that, uh, at the time, when uh, Eric and I were the primary people working on it, that Grant Morrison, in a panel in San Diego, said was the best book at DC Comics.
0: Um, so after you died, uh, when hearing that, what was it like <laughs> being resurrected?
2: <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing, because I, I again, being older... Um, My, 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 I've never met Grant personally, exactly. Um, I enjoyed his Doom Patrol stuff, but I mostly know him from when we were, he did a signing here in San Francisco, and Eric and myself and another friend of ours, uh, Dylan Williams, we crashed this signing, we crashed this party, Mm -hmm. uh, because there was a lot of really good free food there. Um, (laughs) Okay. A great motivator. Grant came in wearing this. Hat in a hat, pop hat, mm-hmm. and, and giant glasses. And I cannot... This is an aside. I'm going on a complete aside. Gear. Totally fine. <laughs> um, so he was in complete raver gear. This is like 1991 or 2 or 3 or something like that in San Francisco. And um, at this bar where there was a boat in the middle of the lake. It was weird. Anyway, he um, he shows up there. So every time... We see these like we drive to LA, there are these giant water towers that are cat and hat striped painted. hmm It's it's Grant Morrison's head underground in our imagination. That is awesome. like my vision. And that's about that's kind of my lock-in mindset of Grant Morrison. Is that that guy I briefly saw at this party I crashed thirty years ago or whatever. Right. Um, so I didn't really think much about it like, oh the cat in the hat guy. Um <laughs> bit of a tainted perspective there Mm -hmm. i I like his work though
1: he's
2: good awesome people seem to like him he's gonna go far i think if he sticks with this
0: uh you know this little thing that he has been doing for a couple years yeah you know yeah he can go places uh
2: so
0: with those with those younger centric those all ages style books was that something that when you first got into the industry that you wanted to do is that something that just kind of came organically where did it come from
2: Oh, man, I have a specific answer to that. Okay, so, uh, again, with Eric Jones, we started doing uh, underground comics in, like, 1991, 92. We are doing some really uh, terribly executed um, insane books that involved a lot of murder and sex and drugs and things like that that Mm -hmm. weren't uh, family-friendly at all. And, um, I mean, that was, you know, we were... Part of a, a Bay Area comics collective. We lived in we lived in Berkeley. We were doing comics in Berkeley with a lot of um, you know we were working this small press distributor called Puppy Toss, um, mm-hmm. and we we distributed books by uh, Dan Klaus, Adrian Tomine, uh, all these people who they were local at the time. Mini um, comics, and we got tired over over the next. Five years or so, we were doing these and going to conventions, and you have constant barrage of kids coming at your table, going, trying to look at it. It's like they know the thing they're not supposed to see, mm-hmm. and they want to look specifically at that. And I got <laughs> tired of slapping down the cover of the book, going, "No, don't <laughs> open that. I, no, that's bad." And and it just and
0: became, the glares from the parents, I'm sure, you know. Oh
2: yeah. Well, there becomes a point where you get there's there's a, there's something I, I, I learned long 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 time ago about um, if you have to swear in dialogue to make your point then you're you're not working very hard at your dialogue you need to be able to make your point in dialogue without having to resort to swearing now that principle can apply to this visual presentation and storytelling in general you need to be able to tell the story without relying on the more bombastic eye grabbing tricks of, of extremist um, uh graphic moments. Mm-hmm. And so it was we made the decision to start doing all ages work because we were tired of not being able to share our work with kids. We were tired of of that that aspect of it. And and also it felt like it was a dead end creatively. Hmm. Um so we switched to doing uh we we launched a book called Little Gloomy. Right. Which was um uh, a series of a uh, universe of, of monsters and one girl who wasn't a monster living amongst them, um, and that—that's actually a cartoon series now called Scary Larry, uh, that oh, airs okay. like Saturday mornings. Um, We've—we had a long, strange trip with that—that that one. Um, we did that, and the funny thing is, we were handing out um, mini comics of this at San Diego. And we happened to hand one to this guy, Steve Baling, who was the brand new editor of Disney Adventures magazine at the time. Hmm. And and so he's like, you want to do comics for me? So we actually got to do. First
0: Disney of all, Adventures what, what comic, what comic writer, author, <laughs> colorist, whatever, if somebody's like, hey, want to write comics for me? Like, uh, of, like, how quickly did you have to say yeah. yes?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially when you consider we'd been in the industry for eight or nine years at that point, and we had made maybe a total of $800. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we were doing a uh, music comic strip as well at the time. We were doing a lot of different things, so that became our new focus. We worked on Disney Adventures for seven years, um, doing little gloomy comics. We also had a series in Disney Adventures called Kid Gravity. Um, we did a lot of things with Those were both creator-owned, which was interesting. Disney was publishing all ages creator-owned comics. They were available in grocery stores across the world. Mm -hmm. We had a distribution of millions. And the comics industry paid no attention to it. The comics industry was like, if only we could get comics in the hands of kids. It's like, we're doing it. (laughs) We'd go to conventions, we'd see people like, man, you really dropped off the map. I'm like, our work is being sold. We are outselling the top people. In comics, at this point, we're reaching more people, more impressionable people, than anyone in comics at this point. We did that for seven years. There's not a single panel I think I've been on in the last five years that hasn't been. We're talking about, it. and somebody goes, "Oh my God, you're the guys who did that!" Like, <laughs> because they're all all those kids have grown up now. That is awesome. <laughs> so, um, it's an interesting. Uh, it was an interesting process. We really enjoyed it. And then in 2007, um, Disney Adventures shut down. Um, just an editorial change, uh, like, not editorial, a, uh, like, CEO change at Disney, mm-hmm. and they d- they shut it down. It was really awful for a lot of people, and um, that's when we launched uh, uh, Supergirl Cosmic Adventures at DC, which we mentioned, mm-hmm. and then to Batman Brave and the Bold, and then we went and did a non-All-Ages series called Danger Club, which was really just a commentary on why All-Ages comics are better. Um, See, I was,
0: I was going to ask you about that, because following some of your work and yeah it was a lot of all ages stuff and then when danger club came out it was like 2014 around then
2: oh i think it started in 2012 11 and then ended in 2015
0: okay yeah so when i first started kind of seeing that it was around now that 2014 and then when i was doing research i was like this is from the same person who's doing all ages because danger club definitely you know maybe not goes back to your you know underground roots but it was a it was a stark departure from what you had been working on in recent years. Yeah. So yeah. kind of, and that was obviously intentional. It was your way of kind of going about it and talking about those all ages books in a different context.
2: Yes. The entire thing, it's a deconstructionist sort of look at the superhero industry about, you know, the story basically being uh, all these teen sidekicks are left alone to their own devices. It becomes a very Lord of the Flies situation. Mm-hmm. And the entire thing is a, commentary on how comics you know where comics were is idyllic um heroic um idealistic sort of universe into this depressing kind of almost post-apocalyptic sort of worldview of, mm-hmm. of violence and these characters are aware of what they've lost they've essentially been rebooted and they're trying to fight the reboot and go back to what they were right um And, uh, as I said, the entire thing is a commentary on the evolution of comics and how we've kind of lost our way. Um, the audience is not, we have, there are wonderful comics coming out. I have to preface this saying there are brilliant comics coming out that you have to look at and go, this is fantastic. What should it be? Mm. You know, like, I'm going to use a a non-comics analogy. Did you see the, um... Uh, Nolan Batman films.
0: I mean, is that even a question? Come on now. Yes, of course I have.
2: (laughs) Right. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So the second one, I love it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the perfect, with the the Joker, I thought it was the perfect Batman film. I'm the guy who was, you know, uh, who met Burt Ward when he Mm -hmm. was five. Um, I thought it was was brilliant. But I wouldn't take a five-year-old to it.
0: Yeah. The,
1: yeah.
2: The Joker swishing his razor blades around his mouth of the line about it. he doesn't literally mm-hmm. do it, but a lot of the scenes in there. That's great. But I was like forty when that came out <laughs> or right. something, you know, thirty eight or something. I shouldn't be the target audience for this material. I'm glad I am on a purely selfish level. Of course. But this is material if we want to see it continue to thrive and continue to exist and be and continue to hold the level it's been we need to cater it to children it needs to be stuff we can hand to kids that stuff stuff that kids can digest and read and, and learn to love and follow along the same path the rest of us have been on so that there are comics 10 years from now 20 years from now 40 years from now
1: mm-hmm. in whatever
2: form those exist in.
0: and I think that I mean and that is a really Good point that, I mean, as a comic books, you know, comic book kid growing up, yes, as I get older, it is cool to see those other representations, the darker Frank Miller style. But at the same time, it is, you know, I totally understand what you're saying. That You're isolating the audience that you once were. And by you, I mean the creators of this. Reading the comics, yeah. being like, this is amazing. And then they get older, their vision changes as to what those characters are without kind of maintaining some of that essence of where they started from, which is why I thought that shows like Justice League, the animated series. Oh Justice League, like I mean those shows were incredible. And there are generations, or generation, that grew up with that, which is why when we got a Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, yep. a lot of those <laughs> a lot of those people at the time, a lot of the kids reading it and the teenagers that was not their Green Lantern. Their Green nope. Lantern had been Jon Stewart in the animated series since 2001. I'm so. never
2: going to understand why they didn't go with Jon Stewart. I mean, he, it was primed for Jon Stewart. I really mm-hmm. wish they had. I, I, I thought Ryan Reynolds was fine as Hal Jordan. I know some people have mixed feelings on that. I, I didn't enjoy the film structurally, mm-hmm. but the casting in that regard I, I thought was, was fine.
0: I mean, that that is uh, the hard part is like Ryan Reynolds... He was a a decent Howard Jordan. You know, I will not take that away from him. The film was a train wreck. Uh, Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, why those choices are made when, at some point, some editor or writer of that film was like, this was my Green Lantern. So, that is what we're going to put forward without realizing things have changed.
2: (laughs) That's Jeff Johns. That's... Exactly. (laughs) So... That's the, you know, he's a few years younger than me. And it's interesting you can see the roadmap for his vision of the DC universe based on the su- version of super friends he grew up with. Right. Which was the dark side era where they fought dark side all the time. And cyborg was a member.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this, that's what it all is now. Um, and, and I think there's, you know, obviously there are people who, who like that and there are people who don't, I don't really care one way or the other, as mm-hmm. long as the stories are good. Um, but it's it's an interest there's we see a lot of that in comics where we take the thing we love. And this gets back to what I was saying earlier about how I have difference of opinions between my fan who I am as a fan and who am I who I am as a professional. Right. If I was handed to do something with the Justice League, I would not take it back to the satellite era, even though that is a version that I grew up with. It's a version I love. I also would not do the Legion of Doom. I think it's been done to death. I love it. Yeah. It's what I grew up with. It's the super friends I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But what I loved about what Grant Morrison did is he, he he took it back to its core, membership, and then he instantly started building new mythos. And rather than continue to retread the past with this material, which I feel is like a bad thing creators keep falling into, we need to continually advance this. When the Justice League first came out, echoed the Justice Society, but it did so in a brand new way. Right. And instantly we started seeing new characters, characters like Zatanna. Um, yeah, she had her echoes in the past, but she was a new take. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to see a very, a very new version of the Atom. Again, echoes of the past, but completely rebuilt. When Grant Morrison did his Justice League, we get characters like Aztec yeah. in, in the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You know... um, the uh, how would I put it? Um, long story short, I don't think we should keep looking backwards. I think we should look forwards when mm-hmm. we're we're telling these stories. The temptation to look backwards and bring comics back to that comfortable place when we were kids, when other people were taking care of all the things that would stress us out as adults, mm-hmm. when everything was just a happy idyllic time. that's fantastic, but I don't know that that's healthy for comic books in the long run. We need to move forward, not backwards
0: moving forward with maybe more stories that are all ages that so that that those generations can keep getting introduced to them and getting respect and love for these characters that who knows maybe they will then work on if someone had told you when you had met Burt Ward when you were five years old like one of these days kid you will be writing Batman stories so I would have believed
2: it totally I've been like yes I already knew that. I had already decided that's what I was going to do. I was determined. Um,
0: now, a little bit of manifest destiny. You knew it at that point. That was where you were going to go.
2: That was my goal. By the time I was about five, that was my goal, and it was a. It ended up being a much more convoluted route. By the time I was twenty, I decided that it was impossible to get into working <laughs> with some a company like DC, and mm-hmm. I I went a different route that eventually circled back to DC. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird path.
0: So I have a couple lightning round questions to to wrap up the episode. So the first one: What is your holy grail comic book?
2: Like, uh, okay, um, probably of all things, a tough question.
0: This is the about to interview two. podcast. We ask the tough questions. I'm,
2: I'm doing, I'm doing the lightning round very poorly. I'm <laughs> going very slow. Okay, I have two comics that are significantly important to me. Um, Batman number 171, I believe it is, which is the third appearance of the Riddler. Uh, the wow. first silver appearance. The comic that um, was the uh, inspiration for the '60s TV show. Um, it was largely adapted into the first two episodes I mean it was changed a lot but it's it 's built on that issue and you didn 't i think it 's the only episodes of the actual sixties t v series that are a comics adaptation and huh. then um uh mysterious mysterious suspense number one there was only one issue it was a one shot, but they called it number one as I recall, which is a ditko uh, charlton question story it awesome. is uh, the only full issue of the ditko question um uh it is rough in so many ways um so terribly awfully like like dystopian like black and white universe in that that ditko way that is alarming um in reality but so fun in a comic book setting um and i'm gonna hit with a third Going back to the question, one of my favorite characters. um, Charlton Bullseye, um, I forget, I think it's issue 8, from the 70s. It is an Alex Toth short question story. It was a fanzine. Alex Toth, the same guy
0: who created Space Ghost and all of those? Yep. Okay. Yep,
2: that guy. He did a beautifully illustrated question story in the 70s. And this is a magazine size format. Um... You know, usually goes for about $30, $35 when people can find it. I've had a copy for years, and um, it's just uh, the art, black and white, beautiful artwork. So I'm going three. Those are my three Holy Grail comics right there.
0: I like it. Uh, All right, so tying it back into Justice League. Now, I have a series of questions pertaining to each member of the League. One question for each one where if you were to have their powers... That is what leads into the question. So, and we will start with kind of the, that classic, not, not the new one. So sorry, folks, if you are a big Cyborg fan, Cyborg is not going to be included in this. Uh, like, I mean, similar to Landry, I'm also a little bit of a, of a purist, you know, so my Justice League right. are those classic ones. So starting from the top, The Flash. You wake up and you have Flash's powers. Where is the first place you run to? The library. Wow. Okay. See, now that is a lightning round, Landry. That is how you do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've improved. I've been I've been practicing that. All right. So, so- I go to the, uh, yeah, you just read everything. I believe there's an issue where Bart Allen did that when he became Kid Flash. Mm-hmm. I'll give credit to Jeff Johns on that one. That was a good one. Um, uh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice. All right. Next, Green Lantern. What is your first construct?
2: My first action as a Green Lantern, I'm going to go a little away from Construct. I would, I'd go into space. i go, I'd, i maybe a, um, warp tunnel. I could go to a distant alien world outside of our solar system would be the first thing I construct. I'd want to go and see life on other worlds. Okay. I like it.
0: Aquaman. Now this is a classic Aquaman. What is the first sea creature that you communicate with? <laughs>
2: Oh my god, I'm terrified of sea creatures. Oh no! <laughs> so, um, and I don't like to go in the water, uh, like like ocean water. Okay, swimming pools are fine. Um, uh, although, even as a kid, I was terrified there were sharks in swimming pools. Um, just, I think I, I, actually, when I was like apparently when I was like two, I almost drowned. So
1: mm. I have no memory
2: of this. So I think it's a, a built-in phobia. Um, the first sea creature I talked to is going to be an octopus. Just to find out what they actually know, and because I think they're smarter than they're letting on.
0: Okay. I like the little conspiracy theory you're throwing in there. You know, like, oh, yeah. Douglas Adams had the dolphins, you have the octopus or octopi.
2: <laughs> Who had the dolphins?
0: Uh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to oh, the Galaxy. Oh,
2: right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, he did.
0: He did. Uh, Martian Manhunter. This one, is, this one is tangential. So, Martian Manhunter, how many Oreos would you eat at one time? all of them oh, just all of the oreos <laughs> I, I i um
2: i mean i i go with the they're like a drug to the martian physiology so i don't know that there's a stopping point i don't i think i have the stoic self control of a martian right um you know as already there's a reason i don't have oreos in my house because i would not have them anymore a moment <laughs> later so yeah no i'm a sugar junkie so
0: I like it over. Okay. Batman. You are, you wake up and you're the world's greatest detective, which for some reason we still have yet to see in any film adaptation, but that is a different story. <laughs> anyway, you wake up. You're the greatest detective. What is the first mystery that you solve or what is oh. a mystery that you would
2: solve? I can go dark with this. I'm going to try to keep it light. Um, ah, I don't know how to keep this light. <laughs> um, because you're suddenly talking about what murder do you solve but then i have to think about okay who i unfortunately know people who are murdered so
0: <laughs> okay
2: um i'd probably solve those murders yeah
0: okay sounds good superman what would your secret identity be
2: well it wouldn't be i wouldn't be working in a newspaper because i want to make money now mm-hmm. um wow i mean I don't know. He's got a good deal with that investigative journalist thing, though. I mean, moving o- oh, well,
1: hmm.
0: it is a
2: good cover—not good pay, but a good cover. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's not about pay when you're Superman, is it? I mean, mm-hmm. you could just crush some coal into some diamonds if you're really low on cash. It's—it's it's about being on the scene. So I—I uh, I don't know. I haven't. I don't know what the best job to be on the scene of the action is, but I think internationally. Investigative journalist would be best. I don't think I would stick to one country. I would try to move around the world um, more than I think Superman. I don't need Metropolis at that point. I think it's gotcha. poster of Metropolis you have in the back, so no insult. There sure is. <laughs> Fine film of Metropolis. We're talking about a different one. Um, okay.
0: Okay. That's nice. Good. So there, round. Did we get everyone? Uh, no. The last one. Oh. Because again, I wanted to tie this into your other book oh, right. Wonder yes. Woman. Okay. Who would you use your lasso of truth on?
2: <laughs> it depends on how political I want to go with this. Leading politicians um, <laughs> that I hold very disparate views from.
0: I li- <laughs> That was perhaps the most civil way of saying a person that you and I both know exactly who you are talking about.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, yes. I think we all know who I'm talking about.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, awesome. That was well. That was a nice lightning round. You know, started off started off strong, real quick, like a flash answer. Got into Dead it a little bit along the way. I like it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, so, where can people find the most up to date information for you? Where can people find you on social media? Go for it. Lay um, it out there.
2: I pretty much. I I, I mostly just use Twitter. Uh, Landry Q Walker um, is my Twitter handle. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I do have a Facebook account. Uh, I don't update it very often. And most of what I put on there is the exact same thing that's on Twitter. (laughs) Uh, I don't like the platform very much. So mostly Twitter. Yeah.
0: Okay. Excellent. The book is Justice League, the ultimate guide by DK written by Landry Walker. It is available now. This is definitely a book that coming up on the holidays. This is the perfect book to get somebody into the justice league because it has all of the history from the beginning up to the current stuff in a format that is easily digestible. So I really appreciate the way that DK structured structured structures their books, but also your words, because it would not be what it is without that they could have the greatest structure but without somebody like you who has the talent to weave those stories together to really talk about it in a passionate way was, was tremendous. So, That book is available on on Amazon, on DK.com. There will be links to all of those and to Landry uh, in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much for for making the time to to do this. It has been a blast.
2: Thank you. It was a lot of fun babbling about all this. I enjoyed it immensely.
0: (laughs) Uh, You're welcome back anytime. And also when you are here in Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con, we will definitely catch up and uh, get some updates on some projects. Because I do want to know why you are wearing a, a red lantern ring right now i don't want to get into it on this episode but as we were talking you every time you would raise your hand i was like this man has a red lantern ring so that is a teaser for a future episode that you will be on for emerald city comic-con here in a few months
1: excellent <laughs>
0: all right we will talk to you later thanks